The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Okay, we have some time now if there are any questions or if there's anything that you'd like to share about your um, experience, your meditation experience, if there's any struggles or any uh, challenges, any successes that you'd like to um, share, that would be great. It's really helpful for people to hear from other people about their experience, so I encourage you to be brave and speak up if you have something you'd like to share. Um, this is good. Um, so this is a ongoing thing, um, but I feel kind of like the more I meditate and the more I get into meditating, the angrier I get. <laughs> like in a way, it helps me think more clearly, and then that helps me be angrier. Like it's more apparent to me when I'm angry, and it happens faster. And I don't know if that's just part of me being bad at it or like and I, I am a person who's quick to anger um so that's a, a question a comment i don't i don't know <laughs> so so is the anger about the is it directed towards the sitting practice or no is it it's about- m- it's more like in my daily life like i it, it's more apparent to me when people are behaving in ways that i find irritating mm-hmm. um and like you know, it's more like, why would they do that? Don't they know better? Like, that kind of thing. It's, like, my defense mechanisms against, well, just, like, well, people are stupid, and so don't take them seriously. That kind of thing is gone. And yeah. so it's more just, like, <laughs> why do people behave this way? Yeah. Well, as we meditate, we can um, become more sensitive. That, that's a common thing that happens. So that um, I, my first teacher said there are no longer any minor irritations. <laughs> That's the bad news. <laughs> but um, so, but we can um, have an intention. To, I mean, so it's great. You've noticed this. I mean, that's the first thing you've recognized it, and um, then um, you know. So there's reactivity. That's present. There's irritation. So you can notice that. And um, and then you know like bring some of that kindness to yourself like just know well um, you know this is a common thing that people experience so I'm experiencing it too so it's not like I'm a bad meditator I'm doing something wrong um, and then um, you know we can it, it really start with ourselves and say well you know this is what I'm experiencing right now can this be okay um, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no. <laughs> um, so thank you. <laughs> Hi. Um, I, I told my boss that I have been taking meditation, work, doing meditation workshops, and that part of that is non-attachment. And um, his immediate response was, 
well, you're not going to stop working hard now and you're not going to stop striving for things now, are you? And that's been a response that I've gotten from several people. And I'm just curious what you, how you would respond to that and what, I know Mark kind of touched on that a little bit in a previous workshop, but um, how do you deal with the idea or even just the the coexistence of this kind of mindful awareness and non-attachment with the realities of a terrible office. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) um, yeah, well, one thing is, I mean, a lot of times people who do not meditate do have a very hard time understanding why somebody would want to, like, sit still and, you know, it's kind of like, Sounds a little crazy in our society. Um, and, you know, there is a, that fear of, oh, you know, am I just going to lose my motivation, you know? <laughs> but non-attachment and, and lack of motivation are not the same thing. And um, so, I mean, for, for, I mean I've, I've had those, I can remember having th- that fear, you know, like, what am I just going to, like, turn into this mindless... <laughs> Or, you know, <laughs> but one of the things that helps me has helped me is that um, as I've looked uh, at people who have practiced a lot, I see that they're very productive. I mean, like for instance, if you look at Mark, I mean, <laughs> you know, he has definitely not turned into a, <laughs> a puddle of nothing. <laughs> so I, that's one of the things that's kind of helped me give me confidence. And, and yeah, and then I kind of um, have learned to choose who I'm going to share with, you know, because if you know if somebody can't understand, you know, then you know it, I might not be doing them a service by sharing that with them, or just kind of couch it in a you know different way, like, oh, I'm learning to be really relaxed and alert. <laughs> you know, that, yeah, that's the, so th- thanks for asking that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sure. Is that okay? Of course. Use this? Okay. Yes. <laughs> um, I have experienced very similar responses for many years, and for the first time I felt like I've had a response that was, I think I heard you also ask like a specific response to these people, <laughs> these people. But um, one of the first couple sessions that Mark had um, with us, he said that this work is about learning to be a skillful human. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, I want to be that. (laughs) I I mean, all the ways that that means to us individually. It means something different to each person. But when we tell someone and share, yeah, I've been taking a meditation course, you can throw in there, I strive to be a more skillful human. There's nothing to say to that. You certainly can't have them say back, oh, are you going to be lazy now? I mean, when you add, it, it's, it's, you add in your sharing why you're doing it in a very brief way, it doesn't give them the space for that, and it's a constant reminder to you or to us why we're here. So for me, it's been, I'm doing this to be a more skillful human, and it, what that means to me. So I just wanted to add that. Yeah, thank you. Pardon? Oh, I was just... Oh, okay. Uh, I'm Kathy, and I wanted to follow up on the comment about anger. 
uh, because I've been experiencing, especially in the last few days, um, something that's kind of new. So I think I'm more of a like naturally sort of an aversion type of person, which oddly enough seems to be it seems to lead itself to people pleasing, <laughs> attaching to people. I, you know, it's kind of like what, huh? <laughs> but <laughs> but that's kind of how it works out in my personality. And so where anger comes in is that lately I've been, in the last couple days, I've been allowing myself to feel angry. And it's more about letting go of the pleasing people. I mean, I'm not angry at people, but just allowing myself to feel the power of anger. And it's like kind of uh, in a strange way, it seems to be part of the detachment process for me. So I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about that, because I don't really see that going along with the teaching here. But it's, it's, it does seem like it's got something to do with that process for me. I realize that might be just way out of... <laughs> no, not at all. No, well, yeah, I mean, this is an insight practice. And so we have insights about many things. Um, we have insights into our own personality. And um, so and that's you know, a common thing that results. So um, you know, it, it sounds like you're having a good insight. Well, really, you know, that you, that, um, you know, it's been your habit to, um, to please people, and is that the most skillful thing for you to, you know, most skillful way to you to react in that situation? So, it's, you know, sometimes as we start noticing these things, um, you know, it it's kind of good to kind of see if we can have some space with it, mm-hmm. and to not to. It's it's good that these things are coming up. You know, because um, that's you know a way that we can, um, you know, as as a whole human being, learn to to work, you know, with um, you know what it is to be human, yeah. and um, and then you know to, just to really have some gentleness with ourselves, but not to. Um, Not to try and push that away, right. you know, but to um, to see if we can work with it skillfully. And yeah, I think that's what I'm trying to figure out: is how do you work with anger in a skillful way? Because it's got it feels like it's got to be there for. I mean, naturally there to protect us. Um, and my mom always used to tell me, "Why don't you get angry?" <laughs> So I know it's something that I, I kept down. But, uh, yeah, I think it's all about being skillful yeah. so, and, and learning like, to be skillful. Right. And like I, I was saying last um, week, the, the, um, the thing of these are um, survival energies. They're you know, ancestral energies. They're things that have developed to protect us. And, to, and so, um, you know, we want to 
really respect that, that those are, um, those are, have been there to protect us. They've protected human beings for a long time, but um, they've also caused a lot of harm. They can also cause a lot of harm. So how can we, but, but I mean to really respect, be respectful of those energies and, um, you know, and then. Just a little aside, my sister has done some genealogy and we truly are, my family truly is descended from Vikings. <laughs> so it's like, oh, I suppose there's some anger naturally developed from that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Respect for the Vikings. Well, we have time for maybe one more uh, comment or question. Thank you. Um, I first sort of came to meditation and mindfulness through some apps and YouTube and online resources. And um, as I've been coming here over the last several months, I've used those less um, and just spent more time sitting with myself. But sometimes when my mind is really active and going a mile a minute, I'll sort of go back to some of those uh, resources and those guided meditations. Um, And I'm wondering if you could speak to or have thoughts about um, both kind of the maybe benefits of some of those types of resources, but also um, hazards. I know Mark had mentioned several weeks back that um, with meditation sort of becoming more popular, there is some, you know, hybridization and lots of different styles kind of getting meshed together. And just curious if you have thoughts on on that. I mean, it's something that I haven't had too much experience with. Do you have sure. experience with? Uh, you, can you can use the mic. Thanks. In my day, you do. Yeah, I mean, I can speak a little just in general about about just um, using resources, guided meditations, um, and kind of relying on your own intuition a little. Because, yeah, there is so much out there. Um, so just, I mean... And even if you you are going to use supports, you know, using your intuition, and and you notice the mind is all over the place, and you and you wisdom in the mind intuits that some input, some dharma input, or some some wisdom from some external source would be useful. Um, and it might be useful to limit sort of your input, or at least just kind of understand that there are different approaches. I mean, meditation can mean a lot of different things. So, yeah, just, you know, and it's not like, 
we're going to be able to always distinguish or really have it clear in our minds or even... But, you know, ultimately we have to rely on our own intuition of what's really the bar is what's useful for us, what we're finding useful. Um, But it could be useful to say if you're finding the teachings offered here useful. Um, On our website, I think we have our Dharma Seed with art talks from our center and then dharmaseed.org, which is the broader insight meditation tradition that we're a part of. So, you know, you could take a while and just, you know, listen to things from there, and then you'll kind of, it'll kind of all sort of make a little more sense as a package. So that's one point. And then, um, but yeah, kind of just what I was saying about um, once you have, you know, some confidence in the practices, in the teachings, in the general approach, um, you can also be your own kind of inner coach. You know, like, okay, my mind is thinking a lot, or what have I read, or what have I learned from my own experience that would be useful? And you can try that. Um, yeah, so, it's so that we're learning to use that information uh, and reflect on it, so we're integrating the information into our own understanding. So it's not just someone's words, but we're seeing in our own experience, oh, that's what, this is what they mean by mindfulness, like a moment of presence. This is what aversion feels like, you know. And then, so it's, it's a dance, I think, you know, taking in information, reflecting on it. Okay, that makes sense. And then in an actual moment of, of being mindful, um, bringing that information in and seeing how it, illuminates our actual experience. Um, so yeah, I'd just say trust your intuition. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to share a little bit in the last 27 minutes about practicing in daily life. Um, The first point is just to remember, um, to remember that intention. Uh, And a teacher I really like, Sayada Utejaniya, he actually talks about thinking about our intention to practice, to be mindful. Uh, so using thought in a skillful way, kind of like I was just talking about, like being interested in this process of being aware and thinking about that. And I don't think he means necessarily a lot of discursive thinking or wondering or like, but practical thinking, like the kind of thinking that you need when undertaking any activity, like when you're about to do something, you think about it, okay, this is how I'm going to do it, and then while you're doing it, okay, it's going, uh, you know, like if you're cooking something, oh, it's going well, or I need to watch the heat here. Um, so, and I like that because it, it um, 
for me, it really engages the interest in the mind that this isn't something, this practice isn't mechanical. It's even though sometimes we can get instructions um, that can emphasize, you know, like bare awareness or like um, just being present. But the process of being present, you know, how does that work? And it's this intention to be awake, to be present. So one of the things that we have to do is remember that intention and basically remind ourselves of that intention every moment that we can. And one way to do that is to bring these reflections in, like, is the mind aware in this moment? How do I know that it's aware? What does being aware feel like? What's the difference between being aware and non-awareness? So just like this ongoing interest we could have all throughout the day, the moment we wake up, and it's in some ways it's the most natural thing. He talks a lot about in terms of uh, the mind, just the awareness that there is a mind in every moment, the mind's doing something in every moment, the mind's aware in every moment of some object, when we sort of think about practice in that way, um, that every moment something's happening and the mind is either aware or not, and uh, that being aware or not being aware has an effect. So what's the effect of not being aware as opposed to being aware? How much, what have we done in moments in our lives when we weren't aware? for example. So that really brings in the sense of interest. Um, Yeah, and that in every moment, seeds are being planted. The mind is uh, whatever it's dwelling on or the direction that it's... um, the qualities in the mind, how the perspective that the mind has, the way the mind is understanding the moment, like this is, what is this moment? How is the mind understanding that? Is it on a superficial level or on a more connected level, um, conceptual level, or more this is the way it is. So these are all questions, reflections that we can bring in just as ways to, for the mind to be interested. So it's really, interest is so important and it, it'll be different for each of us. But for some of us, I think, and for me, this is kind of how my personality is, like the just the um, 
being interested in whatever this is and that a question that my heart is really uh, interested in that's really relevant, like how this moment unfolds and in particular in terms of the heart and whether it's more bound up or whether it's more open um, and that that the mind has the capacity to be present for that. So all of that is in the realm of just reminding ourselves. And it doesn't have to be uh, like a heavy trip either or like, you know, a, a should. But just, and it, it's like he... Saito Tejaniya uses the language of thinking, but it doesn't have to be a lot of words either. It's just as simple as waking up. I mean, that's what, it's almost hard to describe, but that's what it feels like. So we want to get interested in that, that experience more than thinking about anything, but what does it actually feel like, those moments where, and it's not... It's nothing even extraordinary, uh, but the mind's just, oh, yeah, remembering the possibility that in this moment I could show up, I could remember there's a body here, there's a mind here, what's the mind doing? And it's, we, we want to learn to value that in some ways ordinary, in other ways special because it's not so common, but just that experience of the mind recognizing awareness, recognizing what it's like to be aware in this moment and in a variety of circumstances and mind states, like this is what it's like to be aware when the mind's more calm and this is like what it's like to be aware when there's an emotional storm going on. Oh, but there could still be awareness there. That's interesting, like right in the middle of a lot going on, but awareness, there's still awareness. There's, the mind can still know this is what's happening. This is what's being known. So we learn about what that quality is and we start to tease it apart from other qualities like just the mind's inner narrator or commenting on the moment or any judgment we have. So there's so many aspects of our experience that we kind of take for granted like that inner narrator. Um, Just any sort of perspective or filter on the moment. Uh, And awareness is always what is recognizing the object. So anything that we can be aware of, that we notice, a sound, a thought, a sensation, or an attitude in the mind, a filter in the way the mind is noticing, that's an object too. So awareness is always what's recognizing, and then what's being known uh, is what's being known. I don't know if that makes sense, but for me that uh, 
that's interesting. That in any moment, no matter what's going on, there's two things going on. There's something that the mind is knowing, and there's this quality of awareness that's present with it. And there's something about that awareness and its uh, distinction from the object. There's something about that, in, like that basic uh, structure of reality that's important, uh, at least seems to be important. Because if there was only objects... I mean, we can't even imagine what that would be like because there's always awareness, but we're not always recognizing that there's awareness. And awareness, when we get more uh, familiar with what that experience is like and we start to see it's not dependent on what's being known. So that's sort of where the freedom is, is that awareness in a sense that we can pick up on when we start to sort of get more familiar with that. Awareness isn't affected by what's being known. One teacher says awareness doesn't care what's being known because awareness's job is just to recognize, just to be, just to reflect. So that's, but this way of talking is just one sort of angle. There's different, you know, um, styles of of talking about awareness practice and different personalities. So for some people, we'll really get to know what awareness feels like by being interested in the object or just by basic meditation instructions like noticing the breath or noticing the body, just those moments of connecting with some experience then we notice, oh, this is what it feels like to be connected, to be interested. So there's more object-oriented practice and then more awareness-oriented practice. And both are awareness practice, so it, it just depends on what's interesting to the mind. But in either case, it's not really the objects that are that important. It's the qualities in the mind that are being strengthened. So we want to use our whole lives as a field for practice. Any thing, any object that we wake up to in a moment, you know, sometimes there's certain objects that will just draw our attention more, or just be easier, maybe pleasant experiences for the mind to sort of sink into and and have that continuity of presence awareness with. Um, So, yeah, just like... And we can cultivate that, you know, like the body, really, as, as a really good friend. There, the body's there in every moment. Um walking to our cars. So there's the 
little phrase that I think Thich Nhat Hanh uses a lot, but just of mindfulness bells, like these reminders to, to wake up and be present. But what's interesting is I was sort of thinking about that is it's not, you know, that certain objects, you know, might maybe because we've trained with them or because they're pleasant or just because they kind of arise suddenly, you know, like uh, Thich Nhat Hanh talks about the phone ringing as being a mindfulness bell because it's, oh, yeah, here I am or whatever it is. Um, But but everything can be a mindfulness bell. Any moment, like there's always something happening in every moment. So we should use any object and all objects, like take them willingly, take them generously with anything that the mind happens to notice in a day, like, oh, you know, we wake, we wake up and there's a storm in the mind or we, we realize that we're seen in a moment or that there's an emotion that... We, we haven't really been recognizing, or that the body's here and it sort of feels numb, or, or that we just remember that we had the intention to be mindful, and, and we check, oh, what is the mind knowing in this moment? Or again, we train more specifically throughout the day to have a whole body awareness, to keep, that's a really, probably one of the most accessible and useful practices to cultivate is just a whole body awareness throughout the day. Uh, and that's such a, a useful barometer for non-awareness when we're not connected to our bodies. There's um, a famous discourse, The Four Foundations of Mindfulness, and uh, there's some great passages that I think about sometimes that are inspiring to me. So these are purportedly the words of the Buddha, but he's talking about this first foundation of mindfulness, which is mindfulness of the body. Um, so I'll just read a little bit. Further, monks, a monk knows when he is going, I am going. He knows when he is standing, I am standing. He knows when he is sitting, I am sitting. He knows when he is lying down, I am lying down. Or just as his body is disposed, so he knows it. And then in the next section, in going forward and back, a monk applies clear comprehension. In looking straight on and looking away, in bending and in stretching, wearing robes, carrying the bowl, Eating, drinking, chewing, savoring applies clear comprehension. In walking, in standing, in sitting, in falling asleep, in waking, in speaking, and in keeping silence, he applies clear comprehension. So, basically, all day long, and these little examples... um, kind of what I was saying, that everything can be a mindfulness spell. And one sort of um, way of understanding that, that at least uh, is how I sort of interpret some of this, 
in terms of all those actions, you know, going forward, speaking, is uh, all of those actions, even though this is in the first foundation of mindfulness of the body, but the body moves because the mind has an intention to move. So I often notice, um, particularly like reaching, like to open a door or, yeah, for some reason, reaching. If you look for it, there's always some movement in the mind and intention before any bodily action. But how many of those intentions of the mind do we notice? You know, how often are we moving our bodies throughout the day? And you know, that can be from going to the fridge and opening it up, and we didn't really notice that intention to do that. So these can have real consequences in our lives, or just you know, our body language, or um, so. Even though we can, you know, sort of ground the the mindfulness in the body, but it's really a way to watch the mind. You know, if if we're really connected with the body, we'll we'll notice all these subtle intentions in the mind, and and even just that, or even just throughout the day. Um, where we're holding tension in the body and where the body could relax a little more. Like just that, all day long, just to be in touch with the body and whether it's relaxed and whether there's tension, we would learn a lot. Saido Tejaniya, like I was saying, talks a lot about the mind and kind of what I was saying too is that the mind is doing everything. The mind is what's moving the body. The mind is seen. And this way of sort of thinking about practice that we're waking up with awareness to whatever the mind is doing, because even if it's the body or different senses, it's all coming through the mind. The mind is what recognizes that. I find that this can be an accessible way to think about practice, especially in daily life, where we don't have, in daily life, you know, a lot of seclusion like we do in meditation, or we're not directing our attention necessarily to some calming aspect of the body. Like most of the time in our daily lives, what we're aware of, what we're engaging with, is the mind and and its thinking and its planning and but that doesn't mean we can't be mindful of that because um, it's just a matter of recognizing that activity. And, and it doesn't have to get in the way of that activity either, which is really interesting and really liberating too that our lives, we can live our lives or the mind is doing its thing. It knows how to solve problems, how to engage, how to talk, and uh, and we can be there for it. Sayadaw Tejaniya says, you can do whatever you want in your life. Just bring awareness along too. And I like that. It's like, you know, especially in terms of daily life. We don't have to have fixed ideas about what 
mindfulness looks like, that it's only when we're meditating. It's just this quality of interested awareness in, in whatever's going on. And then just the last point um, in terms of daily life. So we, we use this mindfulness practice to be interested in moment-to-moment experience. And in particular, we want to notice the quality of our intentions and not just notice them. In the, quali- you know, in the context of meditation, that's mostly what we're doing is just Noticing the quality of our intentions, whether there's awareness. Um, But in our daily lives, we're taking action. So it's even more important to notice the quality of our intentions because that's going to actually manifest in the world. And that will affect us and that will affect those around us. So to really see our practice as including all aspects of our life um, and that we can use all aspects of our life for practice. And in particular, we can cultivate the art of happiness. And uh, this is, it's really interesting um, because we can hear a lot in meditation that it's about waking up, you know, letting things be, which is a wholesome intention, letting things be, as opposed to trying to control. But there's other wholesome intentions too, like generosity, you know, being free with our time and our care, or taking care with our actions, not that this uh, value of basically being a person that tries not to cause harm as best as we can and and how good that feels, that intention. So we want to notice these, the quality of our intentions and as a way of uh, cultivating this art of happiness, act on the wholesome intentions and refrain from the unwholesome intentions that lead to suffering. But we're doing this not to be a good person necessarily or, you know, we're not doing it, yeah, out of a sense of judgment, I guess, but because we're noticing that it's supportive um, for ourselves and for others. Uh, and it's interesting, it's kind of a chicken and the egg. A lot of times in Buddhism, they talk about these practices of, in terms of how we show up in the world, these practices of, of actually giving, uh, whether that's time or um, whatever, or of being careful with our actions, like the five precepts of, not harming, not taking what's not given, refraining from sexual misconduct, not lying, refraining from intoxicants which lead to carelessness. Um, so it's, it's talked about that these, cultivating this sort of stability in our lives, in our relationships, 
then it's easier to meditate because we sit down, we have less remorse, we, we feel more confident in ourselves as a basically good person, doing the best we can. And at the same time, cultivating mindfulness helps us see all of our intentions better. I think Saito Tijaniya too says, like, try to be a good person without some measure of stability in your mind. That's why we act out, because, you know, the mind's not stable. So it's, we want to use all of our lives, basically, and not think that meditation is more important than what we do when we get up, you know? That's going to affect our minds just as much as the moments of meditation. So it's this beautiful balance between cultivating wholesome intentions in our life that bring harmony, bring stability in our mind, ease, happiness, and then in our meditation, really having that stability and being able to look more deeply on a moment-to-moment level how things unfold, cultivating you know, a deeper letting go, deeper insight into what this all is, you know, seeing things as nature, how things unfold. So we've run out of time. It's really great to be here with everybody, and I hope you'll continue your practice and keep coming around here. Certainly, you probably already know, but the weekly practice groups are a great way to continue. They are Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, Wednesday evenings, guided meditation, a talk, Q&A. And then we have usually one day-long retreat and one half-day retreat um, every month. And then there's also opportunities to sign up for practice meetings, one-on-one meetings with Mark, Shelley, our associate director. So I hope to see you around. And yeah, have a great night. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.